You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, good morning, church. You enjoying this new space? Isn't this amazing? It's pretty cool. Um, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it very much. Um, I, we didn't have to set up or do any of that stuff. And for those of you who have been a part of church here, you know involving setting up just takes a whole bunch of work. So there's been so much work involved in this. I, I'll, I'll tell you, um, <clears throat> this ceiling right here was painted um, by Phil and his son, Matt. And uh, this is, uh, this, each fixture took about 15 minutes to prep. Each fixture took about 15 minutes to prep. So it, it, so many hours and hours, what you see has been done over the period of about four days. We have had people here working 10 to 12 hours every day this last four or five days. So it, there's been so many people involved. Uh, really, 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 I'm, I'm humbled. I'm humbled by uh, two things. One is uh, our church. We have an amazing, amazing church. You know, we're the same church. We're, we're the same person. We're just in a new suit. Uh, we're the same church. And what excites me when people talk about, oh, are you excited about the church? And I'm already excited about the church. I'm excited about more about the church than, than the building, but the building is certainly a blessing. And, and I, I talk about we're going to the building, we're going to the church building, but the church is the people, right? It's not the building. But I'm so humbled by our people. Uh, we have resilient, faithful people, people who took vacation time from work, people who canceled their 4th of July hiking trip in the mountains to come over here and help. And it's been very humbling uh, when I see that. I feel the love and the support. Uh, there's nothing stronger than that. The other thing I'm really humbled by is as we have gone through this building and we've looked, um, I am humbled because I recognize that there have been churches before Thorn Creek Church that have been in this building that have poured themselves into this building. And I see it everywhere. And it started with Northern Hills Church. God bless them. They're the ones who built out this entire space. And they did a beautiful job. And after Northern Hills, Jacob's Well met in here. Some of you may remember Jacob's Well. And then after Jacob's Well, it was New Hope. And then after New Hope, it was Genesis. And after Genesis, it was Thorn Creek Church. But everywhere I look, I see like maybe a hole there. And I look into that hole, and, and there's an outlet there. And that's why that hole is there. So there's, there's intentional thought behind all of these rooms and ceiling tiles and everything you see. And I'm really humbled by that. I know there's a story. There is a volunteer with a story behind everything in this place. So I'm humbled by both of those things. Yeah, yesterday when we were getting ready for service, I prayed and I just started weeping, to be honest with you. I just started weeping because I was just overwhelmed with our church and how amazing it is. And, and I feel the, the weight of being a good steward with this church uh, because of all the other churches that have been here and all the other amazing, amazing people that have been part of that. So extremely humbled. We have a, we have a great church here. Um, let's pray, and we'll jump into this. We need to pray for our students, too, guys. Our, real quick, our students. I, I was just in South Denver like an hour ago, and we, we have uh, about 15 students or so. They're going to Phoenix, Arizona uh, to a conference. It's a, called Nazarene Youth Conference. It's in Phoenix, Arizona. There's going to be 8,200 students there from U.S., a and Canada, and they are joining, they're coming together in Phoenix. They're going to hear preaching. 
They're going to hear great, great concerts for King and Country and other great, great bands. And they're also going to be doing uh, work and witness mission projects all over the city. Tonight, they're going to be in New Mexico doing a work and witness mission project there. And then they're going to travel the, the next day. So they got a full day. But they're, they're, I'm really excited for them that God, this conference comes around once every four years. So it's a big deal. Also pray for our kids as they're going to youth camp or children's camp, as Pastor Jeremy talked about. But let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. And uh, Lord, while it's on my mind, I want to lift up our students um, as well as Pastor Nick and Rachel, who were overseeing them. Would you be with our students as they head to Phoenix today, and they're on that bus today? Um, give them traveling mercies, God. Take care of the wheels of the bus and watch over them, Lord. Uh, bless every moment. I pray every student has a personal encounter with you, God. I pray for your healing touch, your power, uh, the, the power that comes with your word, God, and um, speak to them. May they be changed forever, Lord. Uh, so speak to them in the concert. Speak to them during the sermons. Speak to them when they're picking up trash or painting or whatever project they're working on, God. Be with them throughout this whole trip. And thank you, God, for this building. I pray for Genesis Church that was here uh, before us. Would you be with them and bless them as well, God. Be with us, Lord. May your spirit come down on us in a mighty, mighty way. Have your way here, God, and uh, may you be glorified, Jesus. Fill me, according to Isaiah 61, fill me, God, and um, may you, Jesus, be lifted up here as always. And again, Lord, I just thank you for the churches that have been here before. Bless every single one of them, God. My heart's overwhelmed. Thank you for the amazing people here at Thorn Creek. Thank you, God. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. And the church said, amen. amen. Everybody awake? We're up, we lost 30 minutes now. hope you're going to be okay with that. Good news is we have a little bit more space. If you're cranky, just smile. Don't talk to anyone, all right? Um, <clears throat> I want to start off with, if you, know, you may have noticed out here in the lobby, and it's also in the students' room, there's uh, Bible verses and prayers that are written down on the floor. Those have been written by adults and students, both adults and students. So we want to invite you to do that. There's markers out here, and there's already uh, scripture verses behind beams over here that I believe when Northern Hills was putting this together, they wrote scripture verses on the studs. So, so we're also putting that down. There's going to be carpet. Uh, everything you see here, uh, just so you know, we're about 15% through in remodeling, okay? We have a lot of work to do. So what you see is just the beginning. So it's, it's pretty exciting what's happening here. But I'm so, so humbled by all of it. Um, that's a picture of my daughter, Hannah. She's writing down a great verse. And then Avery wrote down one also. And uh, it, it's pretty cool. Uh, one of them that was written down, I believe Steve wrote this one, is that's Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 42. It says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And that's my prayer, is Thorn Creek becomes more and more like this Acts early church. This early church is radically different from most churches today. Most churches today are filled with Christians who are more consumers. They're more takers than givers. Most churches today are filled with, with people who don't think I'm going to serve and I'm going to give and I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do all these things. Most church, it's just our culture. That's just the way we are today. Our, our culture has changed 
radically, but my prayer is that Thorn Creek Church reboots and that the power of the Holy Spirit is evident. Without the Holy Spirit, this is just a TED Talk, guys. This is just a positive message, and you go home and you feel good about yourself. But it means nothing unless the Holy Spirit is here. And that's my, my prayer with Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I want to ask you a question. Do you think God has the ability to change any person? Anyone? Um, <clears throat> amen. I appreciate the yeses. Uh, let, let me tell you what I've seen. I, I've seen there's, and you may have seen the same thing. There's some people, when they, when they turn to God or, or they turn to Jesus Christ, they are just lit up. They're telling people about Jesus, and they're serving, and they're giving, and it's like, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do kind of thing. And then there's other people, and maybe you know them or you've seen them, and they say, I'm a Christian, but they rarely go to church, rarely read their Bible, and, and they may not even give, may not even tithe. What's the difference? What about the person who comes to know Jesus and has this radical transformation and, and it changes their character and they treat their, their spouses different and, and their, their lifestyle changes and they no longer go see those movies or they no longer go to those sites or they no longer do those things. And over and over, you just see this transformation developing and you meet with them in six months and they're a different person and in a year and they're, I mean, there's just growth and growth. And then you see this other person who says, I'm a Christian and, and you have to look really closely and as close as you look, they look like they're the same person that, compared to a year ago, the same person compared to two years ago. They're still struggling with the things that they struggled with five years ago. What's the difference? Why is, it, is God able to change everyone? So if he's able to change everyone and you say yes, then why is this person at this place and this person over here at a whole other place? I'm going to share a story with you today about a guy who contributed more to our theology than perhaps anyone else. You know him as Paul the Apostle. He has perhaps the most famous conversion story. The most famous conversion story. Conversion is when someone turns to Jesus Christ, and God is still in the business of changing lives and giving new birth and, and transforming people. Um, we're in the book of Acts right now, and I can't think of a more appropriate series to be in, in the midst of our building and everything that's happening here. Uh, the book of Acts talks about the unleashing power of the Holy Spirit, the unleashing power of the local church. That's what's happening when you see Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians. It's the church at work, and it's spreading, and people are planting churches, and, and there's amazing growth. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you have Acts. And the first five books, there's written by two authors are part of, responsible for two of the five books, and it's Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He's the only Gentile writer. Luke wrote that, and then he also wrote the book of Acts to a guy named Theophilus. So you have Luke doing that, and, and you see the Spirit of God being poured out in Acts chapter 2. You see the Holy Spirit, and there's the difference right there. Jesus said you need the Holy Spirit the helper, the comforter, the paracletus. You see the Holy Spirit being unleashed. Peter preaches a message in Acts chapter 2, and Scripture says thousands of people were added to the church that day. Thousands of people. In fact, they said, what should we do? And Peter says, repent. Turn to him with all of your heart. That's what you should do, repent. Then you see the church, like Steve wrote in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you see them coming together and having fellowship and doing church together. Church, 
during this day was not church once a week for an hour and 15 minutes. Church was not, you know, one of these things where I go to that church and I go when I can make it for an hour and 15 minutes and I go once a month or once every two months or whatever it is or once a week. Church was everything. It was the nucleus of their home. When you went through problems in your home, you talk about it with the church. When you go through problems in your marriage, you talk about it in your church. When you talk about when you have problems with whatever you're going through in kids or life or you need God's will, you talk about it at church. And everybody carried each other's burdens, carried each other's problems. That was church. Radically different from today. Radically different today. Most churches, you come to church, you come in barely, you might come in a little bit late, and as soon as it's over, you stay for two minutes and you go home and you get in your car and you drive away. That was not the church early on at all. Not at all. The church early on, the gospel was really a Jewish gospel. It was, not, it was not going out to Gentiles. It was a Jewish gospel. And then something happens. In Acts chapter 7, a guy named Stephen is murdered, stoned to death. And after that, you see the Christians scatter because of persecution. But they don't run and tuck and hide. They, they, they scatter, but they continue to preach Jesus everywhere they go. So the gospel spreads. Acts chapter 7, verse 58, when Stephen was being stoned, Scripture says, when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named whom? So here's the first mention in the Bible of Paul the Apostle. So they lay his coats down, their coats down, maybe just to get a good wind-up to throw rocks at, at, at Stephen to kill him, and, and they lay down their coats at the feet of this young man named Saul. Now remember, Philip, when he was being stoned to death, remember he shouted out and said, God, don't hold this against them. Saul saw all that. My, my, my guess is Saul never forgot what he saw. And, and, and Philip was an example. Stephen was an example to Saul. Very much so. John Stott said this, Saul's conversion is the most famous conversion in church history. The most famous conversion you see it. He becomes known as the greatest missionary ever known. You know anyone who is just so far, and you think, they'll never come to church with me. You don't even invite them anymore. You know anyone like that? Or maybe you're married to someone like that, and maybe they're at home right now, and you came to church. Or maybe you look at, you look at him, and you think, there's no way God will ever change him, or there's no way God will ever change her. Maybe it's yourself, and you look in the mirror, and you think, you know, there's no way. There's no way. This is who I am. It's just, it's just a lie. I want you to hear this story. Acts chapter 9, let's start at verse 1. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. And was eager to kill the Lord's followers. I think that's really interesting that he was eager, eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of what? Of, isn't that cool? Christians during this day, those who were Christians, they were known as they were part of the way. It's only mentioned four times. The way is mentioned four times in the book of Acts. It's like if you call yourself a Christian, you're part of the way. And I think of Jesus' words in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
<laughs> and, then, and then it says he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Like, that's his passion right there. He's leaving Jerusalem, and he wants to go to Damascus, which is about four to five days walking journey, and he wants to go over there, and his whole passion in life is, I just want to kill people or arrest them, and it doesn't matter whether they're a woman or not. I'm going to bring them back in chains, just angry, full of hate. I like what someone wrote here in one of our, one of our rooms, said, the church is people, not a place. That's what they put down when they wrote it down on the floor. I couldn't agree more. We're part of the way. So Saul goes beyond just being there to becoming a murderer, becoming a murderer. And him and his band of, of brothers, they go out looking for people to arrest, and he becomes the arch enemy of the Christian church. There's indication that Christians even died under Saul's leadership. He not only persecutes Christians, but he persecutes communities as well, Christian communities, synagogues. And in fact, there's a street that's mentioned in the story that in Damascus that is still in Damascus to this day. And he, he persecutes anyone who calls on the name Yeshua, Jesus, anyone. He has this reputation. He is, has this reputation. He was bold enough to physically kill you, but he was also an intellectual. He was also well-connected. He was an educated person, and he had influence. That's his reputation. You know, there's nothing worse than a smart enemy. There's nothing worse than an enemy who has contacts, an enemy who's connected. There's nothing worse than that. And maybe you've seen those kinds of enemies before in your life. Verse 3 says this, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, what happens, church? A... A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. Does this make sense to everybody? Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> Probably not. You think that would get Saul's attention? A light coming down on him from heaven. He's walking on a dusty road headed to Damascus, and a light comes down on him from nowhere. Doesn't make any sense. Sometimes God does supernatural things in our life that don't make any sense. He did it with Moses. Remember, there was a burning bush, and Moses looks at it and says, Why is that thing burning and not being consumed? And he was curious and he followed it. Sometimes God moves in our life supernaturally in a way just to show us that He's God and there's another world than this world right here. Sometimes he does that. He does that. Uh, when, when I came to know Jesus, I, I debated on whether I should share this story or not, but I went into my bedroom. I, I, I read about the, this, this guy who's actually an atheist, talked to me about the parable of the sower. I was witnessed about the Bible through an atheist. I don't know if you know that or not. This atheist shares the parable of the sower with me, and I go home, and I open up my Bible in my bedroom. I never, I never opened up the Bible at all. I just knew where the book of Genesis was, and that's it. But I opened it up to the parable of the sower. I read it, and in my room, I closed it, and I realized I need to make a decision about what kind of person I was going to make it be, and even if I didn't make a decision, I was still making a decision. But I, I knelt down in my bedroom and against my little twin-sized bed in San Antonio, Texas, and I remember a lot. Light. It lit up my room. I know this is where I'm losing a half of you. I know it. Uh, but it lit up my room. And, and I, I closed my eyes. And just like these lights are on me, I closed my eyes and I can feel this light. It was a different light. It like glowed everywhere. And I had my eyes closed. I trembled. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't have a relationship with God. 
But I closed my eyes, and I'll tell you what, I never felt so much fear in my life. It wasn't fear like a scary fear. It was a fear like he, God, was with me, and I was really small, and he was really big. It was that kind of fear. And the other thing I'll never forget is I've never sensed so much peace simultaneously. Fear and peace together. I wept, cried in my bedroom. I didn't know how to, what to pray or how to pray. It wasn't no eloquent prayer. But when I was done praying, the light was gone, and I got up, and I thought, what was that about? What was that about? Remember the next day I was talking to Grace, and, and she was out of town on a, on a trip, and, and she got back, and I, I just saw everything different. God started moving in my heart, and I remember I would talk to her about God, and, and, and she says, Reuben, you got saved. And I had no idea what that meant. I was like, was I drowning? Did somebody throw me a life jacket? I don't know what you're talking about, Grace. No, you got, she was using a, a, a biblical word, but I didn't know the Bible. She said, no, you got saved. And I said, look, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just telling you God is real. She said, no, Reuben, you got saved. And I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about, Grace, but God is real. And that's what happens when, when here Saul's on this road to Damascus. A light shines down around him, gets his attention. It wouldn't it get your attention. Verse 4 says this, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, he falls to the ground. I, I think that, that marks, you know, this humbleness, this brokenness. This light comes down. I'm going to fall to the ground. This is happening to me. I don't understand why this is happening to me. I don't know where this light is coming from. It's not normal, but I believe it's from God. It's something supernatural. You naturally fall to the ground. And then this is the voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am who? Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Don't you find this interesting? Who is Saul persecuting? Well, he has letters in his hands. What is he doing? He's going after who? Christians. He's going to Christian communities and synagogues and arresting men and women, and he wants to drag them back. And, you know, he has authority to do this in his hands with these papers. And he's going after Christians. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? I want you to hear this. For Jesus, it's personal. The church isn't like Jesus the church is Jesus. He is the head of the church. We are the body and the voice and the hands and the feet of Jesus. Never, has it ever dawned on you when you hurt the church, you hurt Jesus? Think about this for a little bit. How do you feel when things are when something, something happens to you? There's a line in your life, I, I bet, that if, if I cross, it becomes personal. If I talk about your kids or talk about husbands, if I talk about your wife, wife, if I talk about your kid, whatever it is, there's some line in your life where it's personal. And when, it cross, when you cross that line where it's personal, all of a sudden, you know what? The filters are gone, the gloves are off, and we're going blow to blow now because it's personal. I'm leaving the church now because it's personal. I'm walking away because it's personal. You stepped over the line when you said that. 
it's personal. For Jesus, the church is personal. This is his bride. Flaws and all. I get it. Flaws and all. I've been a pastor long enough to know how imperfect the church is, but it's the bride of Christ, and it'll be glorified one day. And Jesus says, hey, why are you persecuting me? If you hurt the church, you hurt Jesus. If you help the church, you help Jesus. Now let me ask you this. If you know it's personal, what does your commitment level look like to his church? Do you think he takes it personal? Do you think he takes it personal? When someone says, hey, I'm a Christian, but they're not committed, do you think he takes that personal? When someone says, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm not, I'm not going to serve, or I'm not going to give, or I'm not going to do this, or I'll go when I can't, do you think he takes that personal? Or when someone needs help, do you think he takes it personal when we don't help? You should know this, because I want you to know the kind of church we are here at Thorn Creek. We believe in pouring ourselves into people. And even in the midst of all of this, we pour ourselves into students and children and adults as well. But even in the midst of all the cost of this, we have a family who's going through some tough times and they were almost going to get evicted from their home. They were at that level. And they approached me and said, Pastor Reuben, we just want you to pray about us. And this is what we're going through right now. And I heard them out and and, and the Lord stirred my heart, and I said, we want to help you as a church. And we gave them a significant amount of money to help them out so they wouldn't be evicted. And everything worked out, and we gave it to them. I gave them that check, and the man started crying right in front of me and said he had chills all over him, and he thanked me and gave me a hug. In the middle of, you can put your hands together for that, guys. We're helping out people. We could have easily said, hey, we need, you know what, we, we can't, we're not able to help you out. We need to buy a gallon of paint instead. We need to do these other things. But that's not Thorn Creek. Even in the midst of all the cost of all the renovations, we're loving on people. That's what matters. That's what matters. Verse 6 is this. Now get up, and this is what Jesus is telling Saul. Now get up and go into the city, this city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. There's a lot of things you can do without, but my guess is your sight would be the last thing you'd want to do without. Right? That's pretty important to you, isn't it? Saul was blind, so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Now think about Saul. This is the guy who is just large and in charge. This is the guy everyone fears. This is the guy who has the political muscles, the network muscles, the resources, has the personality. He's strong, he's bold, he's intimidating, but then he beats Jesus. Jesus can humble any man. And he falls to the ground because of this light. He hears a voice. And when he gets up, he's blind. Now this guy who's full of himself and large and in charge and independent and self-sufficient and cocky and all of these things, he has to be led by his hand into Damascus. Blind. Blind. Humble, 
Can you imagine that? Just humble. He's being led by his hand into Damascus. What's going on in his mind as he's walking? He needs someone to help him walk. Help him walk. Humble. Verse 9 says, he remained there blind for three days. How many days was he blind? And did not eat or drink. Can you blame him? If that were you, do you think you'd lose your appetite a little bit? He, he came to this awareness that there is a living God that he was offending. He came to this awareness that there was this risen one named Jesus who he was offending personally. It never dawned on him that when I hurt him, I'm hurting the risen one. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Never dawned on him. God takes certain things personal. Jesus takes certain things personal. Blind for three days. What do you hear this? God cut Saul off from the physical world so that he could understand the spiritual world. God cut Saul off from the, from the physical world so that he could understand the spiritual world. Sometimes, sometimes God will cut out things from this physical world so you can see him more clearly. For some of you, let me just tell you, if you want to know God at another level, then you have to be willing to cut certain things out of your life. Maybe, maybe that is social media, or maybe it's that thing that you're watching on the screen, or maybe it's that, that relationship that you know is toxic, or whatever it is, or there's something that you know that has a hold on you. Whatever it is, sometimes you just need to cut that out of your life, because if you cut it out of your life, then you'll hear the voice of God. And too many times what we, we do is we don't want to let go of any of those things. We know it's not good for our soul, so we keep them, but we say, God, bless me instead. God, what do you want me to do? And God is a God who will not be mocked. He wants all of you, all of your heart, all of your affection, all of your desires. He wants all of you. When you give yourself to worshiping other things, he's not going to respond. He wants all of you. Then this guy shows up. Verse 10 says this. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. So we hear right now that Saul is praying God hears your prayers. God has not forgotten your prayer. God hears your prayers. And here you, you read, verse 12 says this, I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard my people, many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And, has, and he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. I find it's really interesting because Ananias is telling God, God, um, I hear what you're telling me, but you may, may not be aware of this, but this is a bad dude. You may not be aware of this, God, but this guy that you want me to go talk to, and lay, he has a reputation. You, you must have mixed up names or something, God. He's like educating God telling God, you may not, we do the same thing. We may, we may, we may laugh at Ananias, but we do the same thing. We say stuff like, God, I know you want me to do this, God, but I'm not sure if you understand how math works down here, God. 
I know you want me to do this, but I'm not sure you know how hard-headed, how how stubborn that person is, God. You need to put him on the lost, forever lost list, the the unredeemable list, because it's impossible for that guy, impossible for that woman to get right. God, I'm not sure if you understand the way politics works down here, God. I'm not sure if you understand there's people in authority down here and there's bosses and and, and all this stuff and you don't, God, you may not fully understand that. Or God, you may not fully understand the way the body works, God. I know you can do miracles, I've read about it, God, but you know what, my body is at a point or his body or her body's at a point where it's just no way, God. Move along and go heal a common cold, God the same thing. Ananias is saying, God, (laughs) this guy has a reputation. You may not be aware of this. You may not be aware. Verse 15 says this, but the Lord said, go, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the, to the church, to the, (laughs) to the, oh, you're not, it's not on verse 15. That's where we're at. We're at verse 15. Um, go, but the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the other people of Israel. This is a big deal because this is a Jewish gospel. And now God is handpicking Saul and he's telling Ananias, you need to go because he's going to be a messenger to the Gentiles, non-Jews. It's about to go global right here. As well as to the people of Israel. In verse 16 says, and I will show him how much he must, what? I'm sorry, he must, what? He must suffer for my name's sake. I will show him. (laughs) Nobody's excited about that. Sometimes Christians are called to suffer. Sometimes Christians are called to suffer. Turn to the person next to him, just tell them sometimes Christians are called to suffer. Can you do that? Sometimes Christians are called to suffer. You know why that's important? Because our flesh says, if I suffer, I walk. If I suffer, it's not God's will. If, I, if I'm wronged, if I'm offended, if I'm hurt, I leave, I walk, I separate. But sometimes Christians are called to suffer. You see, Jesus, I think he knows a little bit about suffering. Wouldn't you agree? You see, Paul the Apostle, I think he knows a little bit about suffering. Don't determine your theology entirely on if I don't suffer, then it's God's will. Not necessarily at all. Christianity and suffering happens together. You stay in the center of God's will. That's why it's important for you to stay in God's word and to know his voice. Because if you're not reading God's word all the time, you know how you're determining God's will? By your feelings. Well, good night. Your feelings are all over the place. If you had bad pizza, you're going to be feeling weird. Don't determine God's will based on your feelings. You determine God's will based on God's word and on scripture. And you learn to hear his voice. And you separate yourself from the things that are cluttering your soul. C.S. Lewis said it like this. I suggest to you that it is because God loves us that he gives us the gift of suffering. Didn't that feel good? (laughs) Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, we are like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves the forms of men. The blows of his chisel, 
which hurt us so much are what make us perfect. Perfect. The suffering. When you go through tough times, are you still going to walk by faith? When you go through tough times, are you still going to honor God? When you go through tough times, are you going to keep coming to church? When you go through tough times, are you going to still spend time in God's Word? Even when, how about when your theology blows up and something happens in your life and you think, how in the world could God have let that happen and you blame God? Are you still going to walk by faith? Verse 17 says, so Ananias went and found Saul. I had to stop right there because Ananias is the rock star behind Saul. Ananias is the rock star. Ananias is the guy who said, look, I've already told you about this dude, God, (laughs) and you want me to go, I'll go. He literally, his very life is in jeopardy. There's fear in Ananias, but he's going because he knows God wants him to go, not knowing what to expect. It's like approaching that person who's intimidating and who intimidates everyone else. And you're like, I'm going to go and I'm going to be Jesus to that person. The one that everyone is running away from, I'm going to run to them. Verse 17 says, Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Amen. I love it when you guys talk out loud. Wow. There it is. Don't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, the seal. It's our guarantee of heaven. It's the power under the hood. Someone wrote down on the wall, on one of the floors, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. It's written down on the floor. I love that. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Holy Spirit has moved in this room for many, many years. And I love the fact that someone said, Holy Spirit, keep moving here. Move here, Holy Spirit. Move here, Holy Spirit. Look what happens to Saul. Verse 18. Instantly. Instantly. Say instantly with me. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. He's been, he's been blind for how many days? And then he got up. And what did he do? There was a conversion that happens right there. What was going on inside of Saul's heart and his head for three days? Light happens and all this crazy stuff happens. That's, the, that's that. There's right there is the part where this church becomes personal. Because you can sit in the church service and not be changed, not be moved, and think about Chipotle and look at Facebook or whatever it is. You can be in a church service and have that experience. But then there's some people who sit in the church service and God gets a hold of their heart and stirs it all up and they're like, I can't stay the same. I feel God inside of me. The Holy Spirit's moving inside of me. And this is different. And all of a sudden, your whole life is centered on Jesus. And all of a sudden, He becomes the purpose of your life. And all of a sudden, God's voice becomes the greatest voice you want. And all of a sudden, spending time with Jesus is what you want. And all of a sudden, His will is the greatest. It's the greatest. 
and scales fell from his eyes. I still believe there are spiritual scales today that exist on the people's eyes. You might know someone like that. That's the ability to, to see but not see. And you can, you, can, you can witness something but not witness it. You can be part of the movement of God and not see it. There's scales over your eyes that need to come down. And as long as those scales are there, you, you're unable to see what God is doing. You need to ask God to remove the scales. Maybe that's, that's your prayer this morning. Remove the scales. Verse 19 says, Afterward, he ate some, some food and regained his strength. <clears throat> Isn't that good? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is, is just, just grab a sandwich and eat. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just rest. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Jim Simula said, Christianity is about change and God can change anybody. You know anyone who's full of hate? Full of lies? <clears throat> Would you hang out here in Mission Trace? A little bit we've been here for the last week or so. Boy, that liquor store is a revolving door. See how many cars come and go for that liquor store? God can change every, every drunk. You know anyone who is just has a bad temper? You know, you know any, any guy who's a player? You know any loose woman who has that reputation? You know, you know that person who's caught up in pornography, caught up in lust? You know that person who's living that secret life nobody knows about? That abusive person, that husband who's absent all the time, that woman who's closed herself in and lives by herself and that kind of thing, that person who's living in the dark place. God can change any soul he wants. God can change any life. There's no life so far or so low that he cannot reach. He can change anyone. Jesus has the ability to reach out to that person in the deepest depths and save them and redeem them and clean them and dust them off and fill them with his Holy Spirit and then they become a missionary for him. God has that ability. He can do that. Verse 20 says, And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Isn't that the same guy? 22 says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his, refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So can God change any heart? Can God change your heart? Can God change your heart? Will you let God change your heart? God, can, can, there's no problem that you're working through right now in your life. It's, it's too big for God. Nothing. You know what's beautiful? When God changes a heart, everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. Well, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for this phenomenal story of Saul's conversion and how you met with him on the road to Damascus. Lord, I, I thank you for Ananias. And I know there's some people here who need to be an Ananias to someone. Let's start with this. If you need to ask Jesus into your heart, would you say this prayer? Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I believe with my heart. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. 
you are the Son of God. And, and I ask you for forgiveness for my sins. And this morning, I choose to become a Christian. Maybe you consider yourself a Christian. Maybe God is calling you to be an Ananias. Would you say this? Say, God, use me like you did Ananias. Or maybe you call yourself a Christian, but maybe there's not that spiritual growth and there's not a white, hot, passionate flame for Jesus right now. And, and, and you're just kind of getting by each day, but you can't remember the last time you shared your faith with someone. Would you say this prayer? Jesus, would you set my soul on fire for you? Set it on fire. Make it burn brighter and brighter. Put a new craving in my heart for your word. Use me to build your kingdom. Give me a love for your church, Jesus, that you have for your church. Thank you, God, for your grace. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.